This is the 21st episode of the Data Democratization Podcast. I'm Alexandra Ebert, Mostly AI's Chief Trust Officer. And today I had the pleasure to talk to Maria Accente about one of my favorite topics, ethical AI. Maria is an AI ethics expert at PwC UK and a true pioneer in the field of responsible AI. She's advising organizations like the World Economic Forum, UNICEF and the UK government, and of course, large enterprises on the ethical challenges and opportunities of artificial intelligence. Besides, she's also a guest lecturer at the University of Cambridge and Oxford, among other prominent universities. And in this episode, we took a deep dive into the topic of responsible AI from an organizational standpoint. And Maria will share lots of actionable advice for company leaders and actually all of us who have the ambition to make responsible AI happen. I'm sure you will enjoy this episode. So let's dive right in. Hi, Maria. It's so great to have you on the show. I was very much looking forward to this conversation because I've been following your work for quite some time. And I think it's simply inspiring all the work that you do, both with helping organizations to become more responsible when using AI, as well as with all the initiatives you do with regulators to help them to better govern this space. So before we jump into all my questions that I have about responsible AI, could you share a little bit about your background and how you became the responsible AI and AI for Good Lead at PwC UK. And also, if you could share a little bit about what drives you or personally motivates you to mm. do this incredible work that you do, I think this would be an awesome start to our episode. Thank you for having me, Alessandra. Pleasure to be here. Uh, how, how did I start it? Well, I have an interesting career, to say the least. The fact that throughout the, um, the last probably close to 20 years now, I've continued to reinvent myself in in various uh, capacities. So I've studied very early computer science, believe it or not, and I felt I wasn't really prepared to go towards a more technical career. Uh, although uh, in my home country, in Romania, um, such thing was, uh, was seen as normal, right? So in my class, for example, half of us were girls and quite a good chunk of our peer group ended up becoming computer science or um, engineers. Therefore, it was absolutely normal for us to embrace a technology career if we wish to. I choose differently. So I went to study business and management because I always knew that I like to deliver things. I, I like to organize and, and, and make things better and uh, inspire others to do that. So I ended up uh, running businesses, transforming businesses, which was extraordinary if I look back because um, Romania was just out of communism and there were lots of opportunities there um, and there were not a lot of specialists. So whomever had a vision, they will, you know, uh, hire brave youngster with little experience to say, hey, I bought you a business, go and run it as uh, my former boss used to do it. And then one thing led to another, um, you know, I reached to a point when I said, hey, I need to, to take a, a different type of challenge. And I came to the UK uh, for an MBA and I was pretty convinced that now I want to uh, uh, go towards technology and I wanted to make sure that I can combine my business acumen with my passion for technology. And that's 
I ended up starting uh, my career in consulting around digital transformation and strategy. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I joined PwC, I continued doing this on various domain, you know, mainly focused on digital and emerging technology. And at some point, PwC set up our center of excellence five years ago, which was um, a new venture, um, part of the wider business unit around uh, harnessing uh, various emerging technology, blockchain, VR, AR, um, drones and part of this new setup around the major technology was as how can we ask as, as a professional services company can explore what ai means in the context of organizations we support and advise mm-hmm. like our clients what do we need to be accounting for beyond the actual engineering challenges that you know, um, uh, technologies under the AI umbrella will bring. With my colleagues uh, here in, in the US, we started exploring, we started talking with the um, AI ecosystem that was forming at about that time here in the UK. And gradually we realized there is this, this layer of how do you do it responsibly? How do you make sure that you account for all the implications? Um, it's something that, you know, we need to be focusing. And I was at the right time, the right place. And to a certain extent, I can say, I'm a pioneer in my company because uh, it's, it's something that I've I've focused gradually since I arrived in the 18 five years ago, and I've developed an expertise by, you know, doing it, exploring it, studying it, engaging with experts. We ended up building a response play toolkit that will capture this expertise we had um, with clients around the world. And uh, here we are, 2021, and I'm still riding high and I'm still uh, very passionate about it. And you asked me what motivates me. I think it's it's the same thing that motivates so many around the world. How can we go beyond our personal interest? How can we go into making a difference around us? And it just felt like I struck a little bit the jackpot uh, because it wasn't just that I've been able to match what what drives me as an individual, but also what I'm good at. The fact that I found this sweet spot where I can bring my former self with all my past experiences, my acumen around business and business ethics and governance, which is what I've been focusing um, during my MBA with my passion and, and, and energy and being able to to create like a a, pack, a package that so far seems to be quite successful. Although, you know, it's been a tire, a tiring five years, a <laughs> lot to catch up, a lot is happening in the field. Yeah, and in order to do a good job, you need to be up your game. You, mm-hmm. you need to be able to follow what's happening and make sense and being able to translate that for your colleagues. Yeah, I think that's crucially important and, of course, challenging with the fast pace of developments that are currently and luckily happening in that space. You mentioned that you found your personal sweet spot because you can reconcile what you're good at with what you're passionate about. What would you say is needed to be successful in a role like yours? Um, Is it the diverse background that you just mentioned or there some other tips you can give others who want to also move uh, into this space? Ah, that's such a great question. I would say that each of us are 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 unique, and we have a, a set of skills. But most importantly, we have a set of natural talents. And whenever I found um, this notion of natural talents, uh, and I, I I did a test to discover those talents. I think it was like Gallup Strengths Finder, okay. and I was amazed to understand what I'm naturally good at. And once I became aware, I said. Hey, in order to be successful, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to discover who you are. And I know that's way easier said than done. But once you understand that, 
you start to align yourself with who you are with what you can do. And that's when magic happened. That's what has happened in my case. It's like that I found this alignment. And sometimes, you know, you might discover that actually this world of AI and responsible AI might not necessarily be your cup of tea, but it's okay. We know that this is attractive because it's like, the best paid jobs at the moment in the AI space. That's a domain where you can leave a mark on on future generation. But is it really for you? And if it's for you, what can you bring from who you are as a, as an individual to actually forge a career? The reality is, is that we still it, it's still very very early age yeah. uh, uh, stages, and what we would need people with diverse backgrounds. We need people with out of the box thinking, with resilience, with capacity to critically think because ultimately when we start exploring the moral implication of AI it's all about being able to critically assess what's going to happen in various scenarios when you use where we build artifacts that have been very different to diff- the artifacts we've been built in the past so I would say no be just honest with yourself be sure that you know what you're good at and bring that to mm-hmm. whatever field you choose because that's when you'll be extremely successful and you'll make a difference around uh, around yourself. Either it's ethics of AI or machine learning, yeah. engineering, or whatever you choose to do. I think that, yeah. that, that advice is actually something that should should go outside the AI domain. Very wise words. I completely agree that diversity is definitely something that will positively influence uh, the direction we are heading with responsible AI. And I also can imagine that not only having specialists in this discussion, but people who are generalists with a deeper understanding of various disciplines could really contribute valuable perspectives and insights to, to the discussions that we're currently having within companies on regulatory side and in all the different parts of, of organizations and, and parts on the globe where we're currently looking into how to make AI more responsible and ethical, which actually brings me to to my next question before we jump into the more in-depth questions. I think it's always quite good to have a constructive discussion to talk about definitions and both the term responsible AI as well ethical AI mean a lot of different things to different people. So what's your definition of those terms? So we, we, we did spend a lot of time thinking about those different terms and we quickly realized that what we don't do well in business um, is that we don't correctly frame a lot of these terms. And when we started the AI Center of Excellence, we understood that def- defining what AI is is re- really important to draw some boundaries. So what we have done is to say, hey, we're not going to go into the, the space of saying what AI is and what AI is not from a, a conceptual perspective. We're going to define the boundaries of technologies we classify AI so that we know what sort of a internal organizational capabilities we're building, what type of people we're hiring, and ultimately what sort of a products we are building using the AI technology. And we've done this, and it helped us a lot to actually clarify for our colleagues what do we mean when we say AI. Uh, but also we gradually understand that this type of approach is needed when discussing with our clients. You know, whenever we had projects, I think there was um, at least the last few years, there was quite a bit of a lack of clarity in our clients' organization about where, you know, advanced analytics stops and AI starts. And because of that, there was a lack of clarity who's doing what. And not having this, it's a bit of a paralysis. So we we started gradually um, uh, helping our clients define where AI is, define the use cases. And with that, obviously, the big question came, 
But what is responsible AI? What is responsible AI for us? Because we've very quickly seen in the last two years, I mean, we launched responsible AI five years ago, and we definitely were the pioneers, the ones that came up yeah. first. But in the last few years, there was a wide range of organizations using the term or, or setting us as a vision. And again, in the, in the same principles of framing uh, the, the terms correctly, we say, hey, let's make a separation. So let's think of AI ethics as being a domain knowledge that is concerned with creating a vision of a good life with AI. Mm -hmm. How do we use AI in a way that we help humans flourishing and protect the planet, right? But that's a vision. That's exploratory. That's where we need to be working with um philosophers, sociologists, anthropologists, all sorts of social scientists to understand AI in the context. But then on a more practical level, which concerns us in, in the in the trenches, is how do we translate um, this vision that is sometimes is more or less formed in some of the areas where we had the benefit of knowing the use cases and a lot of research being done to explore those use cases and create domain expertise that allow us allow us to quickly implement that vision and bring that vision to life. And that's what we consider responsible AI to be. Once you understand what are the key ethical principles, how do you bring them to life? How do you create robust governance structure, which is very much operational? And how do you understand what are the key risks associated? And look at the design and use of AI that, that accounts for the moral implication, for a new way of governing, for uh, risk management embedded throughout the development lifecycle, which is totally new way of building technology compared with other past. It requires to think, to expand the boundaries of responsibility of the engineers, bring in the fold different skills and, and different domains expertise to be able to reach to that, that vision that you need to set up for each of those and having this clarity has, at least from, from our perspective, almost like put to side the, the big debates about AI ethics and, you know, that will continue, but it's more abstract and it's more of a, how can we understand what will be coming and allow us to focus on if we are working in developing those use case cases in those fields, this is what we need to be doing. And this is how we, we need to start exploring to create um, robustness in, in, um, in how we operate. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So would you say that uh, ethical AI is the more abstract part of it and responsible AI is then how to actually uh, put it in practice or how would you draw a line between those two terms? That, that's that's how I put it. So um, ethics is, yes, uh, not necessarily more abstract, but I would say more exploratory, more visionary. Mm -hmm. And responsible AI is taking this vision whenever it's clarified and action upon it. How do we create yeah. rules that will allow yeah. us to do this right? And also during those rule create, creating, how do we start changing the way we operate, the structure, the power structures, the mental models to allow us to create behaviors that are sustainable? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So what are the biggest challenges, you would say, of making AI responsible and how can businesses overcome them? There are a lot of challenges, but I'm, I'm trying to slice and dice and see where, where we, we're coming from. Probably the biggest one, I would say, is that we need a new philosophy of computer science as a field. I think for many years, um, 
uh, continuing now, the way we teach our computer scientists and the way the most of the community behave is using the philosophy, can we do it, is something that has gave us Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was no boundaries. There was um, a pioneering exploratory work. And we ended up building technology with, with little consideration of the impact. Mm-hmm. And we got to a point where now we need to stop as a as a society, as a global society, and say we need to rethink how we build technology. And that's why I'm saying I think it's probably much more profound, this challenge, is because we need to uh, move from can we build it type of philosophy mm-hmm. or should we build it type of philosophy. And while we are going, we've been going through this process for the last few years since we actually started to acknowledge the dark side of AI and we've seen the misuses, the underuses, the abuses of AI. I think this this type of philosophy needs now to be translated very quickly at different levels. Mm-hmm. You know, on one hand, a university level, we start seeing as teaching ethics of technology not as a, a module that you study somewhere in the ground, like an optional one, but being part of the mainstream yeah. subjects and embedded throughout. Uh, all the way down is how do we work with our data scientists, speaking in a language they comprehend that the impact of what they're building, it's much more profound. Yeah. And while you can't push and shove all this responsibility on their shoulders, because ultimately they are, they are individuals, um, it's, it's rethinking those boundaries of responsibility is, is important. And that comes um, brings me to the second challenge. The fact that on long term... Before you continue, I just wanted to, to really point out what I so enjoyed, the analogy you made in one of your earlier interviews this year, where you said, okay, data scientists really should have the same level of care like doctors mm. do, and really also have this awareness that what they are doing is impacting human lives. But of course, I also agree that it's not the sole responsibility of data scientists and that really truly making AI responsible and fair is a discussion and a conversation that has to be led at a much higher level and a more inclusive level, not only within an organization, but also with society as a whole. But I really like this analogy that you draw there between doctors and data scientists. It's very much, it's very much as, as uh, again, if you continue this analogy, if you think about it, it's that, yes, you have an Hippocratic oath for data scientists, um, uh, for, for 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 them to be re- really held responsible, especially when they are uh, processing personal data, because personal data is it's it's not or that data is not just number; it's people's life, yeah. and you have a profound impact on people's lives. Sim- similar with what doctors do, in some cases, might be lifelong type of impact. Yeah. And secondly, we are not just relying, let the doctors by themselves. We created a system around practicing medicines that support the doctors, that gives not just the doctors, but the patients a system where where this can happen. So we have to do the same for for data scientists. And that's what brought me to the second challenge is this is transformative, transformative for the organization. The fact that we are not even acknowledging in those conversations the fact that doing responsible AI, um, it's it's profoundly disruptive. You need to train people to think differently. You need to work and build processes differently. And also, when when you are using AI, again, you have to to have a different mindset. 
A lot of the AI is is um, entering organizations via procurement, and we are absolutely unprepared to be able to scrutinize those systems, right? Being um, recruitment systems all the way down to chatbots, how can we actually be able to work with AI in a way that allows us to understand the risk um, that we are signing up for, but also how to best um, create this 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 duo or set up a duo relationship between humans and machines, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the third the third um, um, uh, biggest challenge is the pace of adoption. Yeah, the fact that the last few years, um, and especially the last year or so, we've seen companies um, investing and they will continue to do so in in building and using AI. And it's not like we have a lot of time to think about it. Um, well, many might say that an AI winter is coming and might be possible um, on the research side when it comes to actually adoption, we have a lot to work with in the upcoming years. So things will go even faster than was in the past because once companies have have um, embark into their digital transformation and and being able to um, really consider data as their main asset and have more data driven organizations and create the right infrastructure, suddenly you'll see that we actually have a solid foundation for uh, applications of AI to be able to to be deployed. So how can we actually turn all this quickly around as quickly as we can and make sure that when when it's needed, we actually pause and press the brake so that we are not moving too fast ahead and and breaking things. We've seen what has happened with Silicon Valley. Maybe it's time to move ahead as quickly but also safely as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Um, but uh, both to the third and, and also second challenge that you mentioned of not being prepared in the fast pace, what to do about it, especially with your background mm. in change management and digital transformation, you know how hard it is, it is to change uh, procedures and change people. So what can businesses actually do to make sure that there is uh, enough time to pause, reflect and not move too fast? That's the biggest challenge. It's it's in the way you you ask the question, pause and reflect. That's exactly what's needed. And businesses think that this pause and reflect, it's against the the modus operandi of the capitalist society. You operate in highly competitive markets and you don't have time to actually pause and reflect. And that's exactly what's needed in the world of AI. And while we don't have the benefit of only pausing and reflecting as mm-hmm. academia had, we actually have a lot to work with coming from, from their side. And how do we incorporate what the research has, has settled and has now started to feed into regulation and public policy and actually start using it um, to do a difference day to day? I think while, yes, you know, uh, transforming organization is a long-term journey, we don't have to do it waterfall, right? That's why we have our agile uh, philosophy to actually start doing it in sprints mm-hmm. and start focusing on where identifying those areas where the biggest dif- difference can be made and start applying intervention in the area. Uh, one could be pro- the, the ones we've identified using impact assessment. Impact assessments are probably the, the craftiest tools we've seen out there. Everyone talks about ethical frameworks, but they are fuzzy. When you say framework, you think of something that has multiple dimension, different structures, 
and are created with one organization in mind, but sometimes they're difficult to implement. While impact assessment are a set of, it's a questionnaire Mm -hmm. that is set to elicit the impacts and the um, um, the implications of of certain decision and actions, and using it, we also have a bit of history because you know we have the data protection impact assessments that are mm-hmm. a legal requirements and the GDPR, um, but we had other types of uh, assessments like uh, human rights, environmental. Therefore, how can we learn how those impact assessments have been carried out in other fields to actually make a difference? Mm-hmm. And what we have observed is that there is a, a certain willingness from the data scientists and the technical team to say, yes, we know that this needs to be done, but can we support us by giving us a list of questions, a list of issues that we need to be considered and help us translate those into design and governance requirement? And that's exactly what impact assessment are so valuable. So if you look, if, if anyone is looking to make a start and move beyond having boards, for example, and ethical principles, which, which, which we've learned that a lot of our organizations have done, move into something more practical, start implementing impact assessment and, and experiment at first with it. And we see how then um, running a continuous impact assessment, having that impact assessment mindset will, will do wonders. Not only that you start seeing all those issues um, translated into proper design requirements, including the risk side, you will start working with the mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, because yes, we need to train more people to understand the, the implications, ethical implications of AI, but also doing it and, and empowering people to explore by asking questions from if I do this, what's going, who's going to be impact and what sort of an impact it will mean or how can I do to limit the possible negative impact will empower people to think differently. And I think that's some, something that's really important. Sometimes we miss in the ethical field mm-hmm. It's not just, it, it's not just a, a push exercise. It's about pull as well. It's about empowering people to take um, action and to feel included in, in this conversation. And you do that. That's when magic happens. Yeah. Because people will end up, doing the right things and a lot of people out there that they are looking to do are motivated about doing the right thing so why not tap into that yeah absolutely so i think that's a very good and then also very actionable advice that you just shared with our listeners and i also like the statements you once made about ai ethics being a team sport and therefore think it's crucially important that everybody on the table is empowered and has the right tools to actually uh, contribute to to making AI more responsible. Talking about tools in your intro, you also mentioned the toolkit um, that the Center of Excellence developed for AI, responsible AI. Mm-hmm. What does mm-hmm. this toolkit consist out of? And is, is this everything that organizations need to make responsible AI or are there some limitations to these tools? So I was thinking, reflecting what came first, is the toolkit or the philosophy? And I would say there was chicken and egg in the same time because um, we created, we, as, as I said earlier, we wanted to see how do we can bring the experience of PwC into managing, building and managing AI in, in, in a way that accounts for benefits and risks, right? Mm-hmm. And we first, we created a, a governance framework that looks at the a, a longer life cycle for AI that starts with corporate strategy. It's not just about focusing on uh, the application development. You have to go deep into organization to understand 
to actually have a comprehensive life cycle of AI. Uh, consider not just the upstream part of the life cycle, but downstream as well. What happens after you deploy and you require to do 24-7 monitoring of, of the solution. Mm-hmm. But then further down the line, we, we start having various conversations and client engagement around the world, around explainability, fairness, um, about um, supporting our clients make sense of ethics. And um, we came together as a global team and we started iterating, how can we bring it all together? Knowing on one hand that having a framework is very hard to work with. Mm -hmm. And we should know that because that's what we do. We create frameworks Mm -hmm. um, for a living. And then we said, let's create something that is flexible, like like a Lego toolbox, right? Where you can go and pick up your own bricks and whatever issue you have around um, uh, 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 benefits and risk of AI, you can start from where, whatever matters to you most. And then you can build a roadmap, a journey that will lead you to that vision of, of, of ethical AI. And we created, um, uh, a series of assets. We have probably close to 30 now. We are yeah. both consulting or non-code base and not code base. Code base will have the usual suspects, you know, fairness, explainability, robustness and security, data privacy um, is very much what we've seen um, other companies doing in the space. So how do you test for fairness? How do you test and, and ensure that there's a certain level of explainability? And while those modules have not been as successful, and we know now why, I think it's basically because we are now entering the space of auditing. You know, when you say test for fairness is a, some sort of auditing or quality assurance for a specific um, um, set of indicators. And the companies are not there yet. You yeah. know? Um, I, I think it's, it's fair to say, well, audit is, is, is something that will become more and more, more important in the way, way of AI companies are not ready to go there because the whole world of governance and risk, the processes around the development are not stable enough yet. Mm-hmm. So you can't really go and assess until you have clarity, clarity about organizational structures, about processes, about roles and responsibility. And that's where we have the, the, the second set of assets, which is supporting organization to build those capabilities, uh, being able to define roles and responsibility, operating models that include AI as a center of excellence or AI as a technology that's being developed and used across the organization. But also, you know, the critical questions of um, uh, the ethics. Um, mm-hmm. What are the principles one organization needs to sign up? How do you um, translate, contextualize it um, and, and sign it up with different groups in the organization? And how do you start creating rules, operational rules that will allow us to see those values translate, translated in design and, and governance requirements? And in this category, we have a data and AI ethical framework. We have a regulatory and policy mm-hmm. um, observatory. We have a, a national, uh, national AI strategy observatory that keeps track of various national strategies and being able to to um, observe what's the continuum of policy standards and regulation for different industries and different geographies. We have risk management type of tools, you know, risk and control matrix, uh, risk theoring, uh, risk taxonomy, and all those have developed a procurement framework. All those that have been developed as as we started with the toolkit, we've, we've uh, took it to clients, we helped them solve some of the problems, and then we realized there are certain gaps. So yeah. it's almost like it's a, a an exploration that continues. For example, then 
AI procurement, um, we realized that most of the, the, the AI development or uh, AI applications are not developed in the house and they will be yeah. coming via procurement. So we started thinking, what should our clients and ourselves need to be thinking when we actually acquire third party um, AI solution? And what happens when AI features are being added to current platform? Mm-hmm. What do we need to be thinking about? How do we scrutinize this? How do we train our people um, when they themselves in procurement or in the lines of service in the in the business units, they are acquiring those tools. So th- those th- this is the toolkit. is is a yeah. collection of different assets. Yeah. We put it under the umbrella uh, of responsible AI. It's a toolkit, but also philosophy. A philosophy because it allowed us to iterate further. How should we embrace? How should we be thinking about it? And the reason I said it was a chicken and egg is that the philosophy allows us to go far and explore with our partners in academia and think tanks, but also be able to translate um, what we find in this exploration in something that is really meaningful and hands-on for us. Absolutely. That sounds like an incredibly valuable resource. And I think it also shows how holistic you need to tackle this this problem of making AI responsible. I just recall that in one of our earlier conversations, you pointed out that most of the AI governance frameworks that you see out there have the tendency to focus only on the technical outcome. Can you quickly elaborate why that's an issue and why that's not sufficient? It's important to to understand AI a little bit different. I think we had we have two types of conversation. AI is a set of technologies. And when we say set of technology, we think machine learning, deep learning, NLP, simulation, optimization, or what have you. Um, but on the other hand, we also have AI as a narrative, a narrative about how those um, type of technology um, that uh, have, have agency, um, that are autonomous and, and uh, adapt to external uh, environment that are deter- um, stochastic in nature, um, will transform uh, our lives, ourselves as individuals and our um, social interactions. And that's, that's when we started having more visibility coming from research. What happens when you use this type of, of application, but also we started acknowledging what happens when you have AI at scale, courtesy of Silicon Valley and the big tech companies. Um, and as a result, we actually start seeing firsthand what does it mean to have those self-learning algorithms in social media, mainly in um, a lot of parts of the internet. And as a result, we started seeing, although we don't have enough scientific evidence that that, that will allow uh, uh, policymakers to in- intervene to say but this is those are those are the unintended consequences we mm-hmm. have right so bringing back from this example of how self-learning algorithms impact individuals and society around the world in the experiment um or the use case of social media how do we now start thinking uh, cases that might not be as as global in reach or have the scale that social media uh, algorithms have would happened. And while we still need to consider t- continue to um, uh, uh, keep an eye on the engineering engineering type of challenges around AI, it's acknowledging that AI consumes huge volumes of data, and that data. Um, it's, it doesn't fall off the sky. It's not like a, a, a natural resource that's being mm-hmm. tapped. 
that data is about people and it's collected, it's processed, it's stored, um, has a lot of hidden costs we don't acknowledge for, a, no, a lot of hidden lo labor we don't account for. So mm -hmm. how do we make sure that we understand that AI is neither artificial or intelligence? It's not artificial because it has a lot of physical resources that come to contribute to create creating of AI from the natural resources that gave us the infrastructure, right? The storing, the uh, uh, connectivity, our devices, yeah. all the way to, to data, all the way to uh, processing that data, energy, and also the hidden labor. Mm -hmm. um, and in the same time, you know, this data is a reflection of the, the, the structures that exist in our society, the power dynamics, the power structure. And that alone, it's like probably the biggest indicator um, that the fact that what we ended up having in a data set is a reflection of political context. Mm -hmm. And we ended up working with certain structures, you know, certain structures or systems of oppressions. Like we ended up encoding inequalities. So many yeah. scholars have pointed out. And how do you make sure that we we became aware and we start reflecting of, do we actually want, really want to do this? Yeah. yeah. Do we need to wait until we have, we send wrongfully uh, people in prisons and destroy lives before we actually pause and understand that this is what happens when you use that data that has, uh, or the data set that has some politics behind and you end up applying an algorithm on, on top of it and then what's extracted will not only codify an existing inequality but will automate it and scale it yeah. so that that we ended up in entrapping people not just today tomorrow but for the rest of their lives and that's why i think it's 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 when when a lot of people a lot of penny have dropped and, and understanding how data is being collected go beyond the narrative that's being served for us by the big um, AI organizations and start going and looking, you know, through the looking glass beyond what's, what's yeah. the public narrative. It's like, how exactly do we build what we call AI? Yeah. How much computational power and storage is needed? How much data do we need? And what, 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 what are all the ingredients that we yeah. bring yeah. in building AI? And what are all the costs and implications? Absolutely. I think that's, that's so important to really also question, as you pointed out, should it be built in the first place? And if you answer yes to this question, that you really thoroughly look into all the ingredients, as you mentioned, and especially also the data to see if there are some historic uh, biases in there that uh, have the risk to then end up in the AI system, which will perpetuate this discriminatory uh, mm -hmm. treatment of certain groups. And this is also one of the reasons why we as an organization are so passionate about uh, especially fairness in machine learning and work a lot on also fair synthetic data that really has the ambition to make more balanced and fairer data sets that stop this perpetuation of, of bias and make ethical and fair machine learning easier to do. One other component that, that you mentioned was risk management. And I recall that in, in the conversation we had in preparation to the spot you mentioned that it will be crucial for organizations to be better at risk management when it comes to AI and that this is potentially an area where especially financial services organizations and insurance organizations will be of advantage because they have this long history of risk management. So what would be your advice for other industries on how to catch up and really be in a position to manage the risk of AI well? 
this will probably be the the most heavy lifting in terms of building organizational competency for most of the organization because there's something if the ethics side what mainly happens in the early stages of design it's something that can be done with not a lot of investment when it when it comes of compliance and and 24/7 monitoring of the solutions i think that's where where organization will need will need to invest and i think as we've discussed in our previous conversation uh you know european commission ai act is provisioning for an ecosystem of of compliance that needs to be built many organizations will start will very quickly understand that besides complying with the the future regulation um that, that complying with future regulation means organizational costs and then again going back to what we said about changing the mindset of how do we develop technology means is putting on the same level with building it with actually operating it because it's equally important because yeah. ultimately the 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 stochastic probabilistic nature of ai um and that's where we would need to start looking what sort of a compliance functions we have and who's doing it and how can we train professionals or rethink how we do compliance in a way that will allow us not only to respond to regulatory uh, requirements but being re- ready to be scrutinized audited and 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 checked if we there's a, a voluntary need um and i think i've seen a lot of organization like yours saying hey we guarantee a certain level of of transparency in in how we build our products in order to to showcase and demonstrate how well we 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 align ourselves with the set of of key ethical principles but also in the same time being able to operate in a robust way At the moment is still a lot of Uh, trial and error for many organizations that are not AI first or are not technology companies and ultimately where we would see a lot of progress it's not about small organization it's about how do you make it work in the context of public services or uh, a large organization that that deliver value in certain a and AI will be used to optimize the delivery of that value and i, I think it's looking at compliance um allows us to to start looking at but who should own the risk mm-hmm. and i think like with uh, ethics uh, because risk management is in fact uh, one of the main the disciplines of the ethical management in organizations is to say that while someone is to own it uh, and that's very much linked to the nature of the business as say financial services or professional services you'll have a chief risk officer mm-hmm. that will look at all type of risk around the organization when it comes to owning risk especially technology risk it's really important to assign an owner and from there to be able to work and how risk manifests itself in various parts of the life cycle and how do we make sure that not only that we have a good understanding of the types of the risk and how they manifest how do we start designing controls that will prevent that risk to happen and i kept on saying to many of my colleagues that in fact the most efficient risk mitigating technique is actually to think about ethical principles from the beginning from the start you know mm-hmm. um in operationalizing ethical principles is the best mitigation of risk of ai because if you look at the risks of ai the vast majority are ethical risk is the risk of bias uh, opacity lack of control lack of governance instability uh, uh security hacking uh, but also automating um 
all sorts of wrongs and biases and inequality, being able to augment uh, the existing harms that exist out there. So by thinking proactively, but how do you actually implement it? You reduce significantly those risks. As you said, you guys are thinking about how do we create fairer data sets? How do we make sure that we consider fairness in the design uh, early on? That's the best way to mitigating risk. And by the time you, you go to the other end and say, in the AI risk nomenclature, we have the risk of bias and discrimination. You more likely have done so many different types of control, uh, a seamlessly embedded part of the development life cycle that you really don't need to do heavy lifting, by the way, inside. We specifically have to design controls for and go back and, and change the whole mm -hmm. of development life cycle. And while, you know, many organizations have not really made this connecting between risks yeah. and ethics. Yeah, it's where I think there's a, there's another hidden gem that we've discovered is yeah. the fact that do ethics right, yeah, and then we'll have risk, less risk to manage. That's a very valid point, and uh, actually my next question would follow to what you just said that many organizations seem to not have made this connection yet, and I'd be curious because you already pointed this out in one of your earlier podcast interviews you did this year that although many organizations are super eager to apply AI and to play around with AI, even if it might only be in the POC stage for many at the moment, that they seem to treat the ethical component and the risk management component somewhat like an afterthought and when you shared this point it kind of reminded me of privacy and what we saw with GDPR because before GDPR privacy often was treated as an afterthought of the product development life cycle where when the product development was nearly done legal was kind of involved and asked is everything all right with it or do we need to change something and with the onset of GDPR the concept of privacy by design got more widely adopted and I was just curious to get your perspective on whether the upcoming AI Act in the European Union and other AI legislation can lead to a similar shift in regards to ethics, that we will have ethics by design, and that how to design an AI system responsibly will be one of the first thoughts that organizations will have when they start thinking about deploying AI and not only concentrating and on the technological components of it. Trying to bring this as a, uh, ethics by design as a strategic initiatives and actually the only way of doing AI, um, as I said it so many times, responsible AI is the only way to build AI. If it's not responsible, don't touch it. <laughs> um, and it, it's been our mission, uh, the mission of the AI ethics community for a while now. It's actually to make the case, why do we need to do it? On one hand, we've been receive a lot of support from the GDPR. The fact that we have had this experience and we understand, many organizations understood that in order to remain competitive and not just uh, comply to self-regulation, they need to be more agile. They need to be thinking of doing this uh, as BAU and uh, for them to find the space uh, to be more innovative. By, by doing ethics uh, or, or uh, privacy by design, you almost say we, we change completely how we think about privacy. And because we create the robustness in our processes and we operate um, in an organized fashion, we have enough room to actually be creative. We have a space for us to be thinking, what else can we do if we already deal with privacy? Not only that we comply with regulation, but also we have an advantage that we do it in a way that is beyond compliance, you know, mm -hmm. goes into something that few few are thinking. I think this this first experience helps us tremendously. And we've seen our clients, a lot of our clients 
rather than jumping straight into the AI, responsible AI field, for, for many of them, it's a big stretch. They look at something a bit more paced in terms of journey and say, I have experience around data protection and I will expand it to data ethics. And what we are telling them is to say, it's fantastic and we've done it ourselves. It's doing data ethics right. You start preparing for AI ethics Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. a lot of the principles, the way you implement data ethics is in fact similar to the same principles of applying AI ethics, but you are looking to expand those ethical principles to all the uses of data, uh, not just the ones that are fall under the AI umbrella. Mm-hmm. The second the second big aid we had is coming from the misuses, underuses and abuses <laughs> of AI. And we had quite a few of them. So while we had um, certain use cases that went viral and we are using it as a not to do it in exactly. our in our yeah. in our presentation from the Amazon uh, uh, discriminatory uh, recruitment tool to Apple Goldman Sachs card mm-hmm. and few other examples. I think the reality, the biggest boost we got into why we need to do this, is actually the social media and mm-hmm. the fact that we have had so much exposure and so much interest. Uh, uh, around this topic, because suddenly there were a lot of penny, a lot of pennies have dropped. Is the cataclysmic implication of doing this uh, as a, as an afterthought? And uh, I'm sure that you know many of of the engineers at the YouTube and Google's of the planet and Facebooks have thought about it, but they've thought about it as they they were taught to do it at the end, because that's how ethics was. Uh, was taught in in computer science schools as an afterthought, and they went and apply it. Yeah. And this is what we have got. So we have this uh, example of social media, and how do we turn it around? It's is really difficult, and it will take us years to find yeah. measure. But in the background, it's the perfect example of or motivator of why ethics needs to be considered before. I think it's to a certain extent is more powerful than regulation because I think regulation is treated as a bit of a stick and. People will do what they have done with GDPR and say, then we're not going to go, not going to do this. Pause all the initiatives because we don't know what to do with GDPR. It's too stifling. Stop altogether. But the case of uses of algorithm in, in search and mainly social media has actually showed implication. And it's not only to a small number of people. Now the news have traveled to almost everyone, right? I mean, how many people have actually watched the famous, infamous social dilemma on Netflix? Yeah. And uh, that documentary, uh, regardless of the fact that, you know, they, they portrayed, um, the same usual suspects, while white guys successful from Silicon Valley in the detriment of the amazing women and people of color that do this. They have, uh, the documentary have, have done a huge favor. To all of those um, in, in our field saying, but this is this is a, a social problem, a global problem. We need to all take a stand. It and, and it's 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 really funny because at the end, all of them they've been asked, what can anyone do to actually not be caught up in this um, yeah. this black hole? And the answer was as hilarious as almost I would say it was probably intended to be in this, like turn off your notification. <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of people had got a, a good understanding of what happens in the digital world and especially the, the, the young generation to say, yeah, that's like an irony. Just turn off your notification, you'll be fine from, from the march of the algorithms. So yes, I think it's 
this example, if you turn it around and we move away from whatever actions we need to be doing um, to, to change uh, social media altogether and, and prevent the online harms, it gives us the ammunition to say they have thought about it as an afterthought. Yeah. You see what has happened. Yeah. So if we don't want to get there with everything else we're building, let's do it differently. Yeah. Let's think about it. Point. And I think it's working. It's working. Okay. Look at facial recognition. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There we have definitely have seen some positive developments. But I was just curious, since you mentioned that regulation you would consider more as some kind of stick that uh, organization, of course, want to avoid. Isn't all the negative examples that we've seen in the social media space also more negative incentive to start with responsible AI? Because, of course, you also want to avoid this reputational damage, which brings me to my next question. If you can also think of some positive incentives for doing AI ethically and responsibly. I mean, I know that you've done some work with the World Economic Forum on um, the business case for AI ethics for Think C-Suite was, was the target audience, which I think is an incredibly interesting initiative. I'd be curious to learn more about, but also any other uh, positive incentives, or if you think that responsible AI can even become a competitive advantage for organizations. It is a competitive advantage, but on short term. I think this has to go beyond competitive advantage. This is about uh, BAU, business as usual. And like always, when you are, when when change needs to happen, there's always a, a dynamic duo in between carrots and sticks. That's mm -hmm. how we, 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 we function. I mean, if you're motivated. Um, think about when we were children and um, our mom wanted to convince us to have carrots or whatever mm -hmm. legumes for um, she would say, you have to eat the carrots and the peas before you get dessert. So the carrot, the, the stick in that is like eating carrots and, 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 and peas that was like disgusting. But you'll do this because afterwards you will have uh, the, the carrot, which in this case was the, the cake, uh, the chocolate cake. And at the end, uh, you will, the, the, the biggest motivator is, is to say you become a better person because you've listened to your parents and, and in the end, um, it was a win-win situation. So I think we need to be thinking of, of, of how do we, how do you drive change by using those instruments, both current and stick, um, in parallel, not in the same time and, um, being able to alternate the, those two modalities. First, yes. Acknowledge that doing the right thing has been forever difficult to put in numbers. And when I was studying business ethics my, during my MBA, one of the cases we had, one of the challenges is how, how do you demonstrate the case, the business case of business ethics, right? And it's difficult, you know. How how do you how do you put on 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 the the balance sheet the fact that um, you don't want to do business in certain countries or you don't want to increase your carbon footprint. But hey, we are living in a time when actually doing the right thing wider than, than just technology is be, it's becoming the norm. You know, COP happens in Glasgow those days so that, you know, the whole of ECG now, um, it's becoming uh, one of the main theme, if not the main theme in business, where we start aligning um, um, the business operations and, and, and strategy, not just with a discrete set of objectives that support the, the creating shareholder values, but we go beyond that. We go into people and planet. And as a result, this is, um, it's almost signals that we don't have to be as precise of 
um, defining those those benefits, we could think about those benefits in different terms. And that's a huge opportunity for um, us in the ethics field is to say that if this is happens at the higher level, society level, with the realignment of businesses to uh, include profit, people and planet as key indicators, that means that those are the type of uh, uh, the carrots we should be aiming to. You know, if you start seeing AI being aligned to deliver towers, those type of KPIs, or AI being the main driver delivering towards a, a positive impact on the planet or, or on people, then um, it's going to be easier to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to car- the sticks, um, the sticks are necessary from multiple mul- multiple reasons. It's not just the fear of 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 inflicting some uh, uh, risk as an organization, um, but um, again, being able to to see beyond the characteristic, having vision. And I appeal to a lot of, of, you know, the visionary business leaders to understand that once you put in, in action this mechanism of, of change with carrot and stick, there's, there's a vision you're going towards. You change because you want to achieve a vision. And then going towards that vision is bigger than the carrot and the stick. Mm-hmm. And if you start thinking about that vision, then what sort of businesses you want to want to, to be in this, in even five, ten years time, what sort of uh, impact you want to want in society? How do you want to be more of a B Corp type of company and not only focus on your industry, your your, and actually start looking at the impact you can have in in in, in society? Then it's easy to start looking. How do I get there? Mm-hmm. If I want to get there, I need to change. When I say I. I, myself as an organization, we need to change. Therefore, how do we change? How do we accelerate? If we want to go faster, maybe we can use the the stick because that's probably the most efficient one. Regulation is coming. Policy is coming. You're going to be harmed uh, uh, because customers are going to depend on it. But if you want to have a more sustainable approach and bring people on the side, let's say, let's think of more carrots. The fact that we'll develop products that will have positive impact in society mm-hmm. and with that we'll ended up motivating our employees yeah. we have seen countless examples of computer scientists uh, that graduating those days saying i don't care about the money being paid by the big tech companies yeah, I, want I want purpose. to have meaning in my life yes mm-hmm. i want purpose yeah and i think that's a huge opportunity for many organizations if they want to look to to, to attract talent valuable talent scarce talent doing the right thing and not just you know saying it yeah. People are smart enough to read beyond PR statement. Actually, finding a way to transparently, consistently demonstrate that they they are doing the right thing, yeah. then everyone wins. So, Absolutely, I would say that's uh, definitely a big positive uh, incentive for doing the right things with AI. Uh, Coming back to this initiative you work with with the World Economic Forum, um, can you share a little bit about that? Are there some more concrete uh, examples on what the business case for responsible AI is in there or what's the stage of this work at the moment? World Economic Forum does a fantastic job in in creating guidance for uh, business leaders around the world on different topics. And two years ago, they have um, drafted a toolkit for board members, board of directors around deployment of AI. The last year or so, we've been focusing on creating something for the C-suite. So Mm -hmm. how do you create guidance for C-suite to understand the full complexity of AI, where AI is coming from, and how to 
manage it from an executive position. And part of that, um, we originally had a chapter on ethics, um, which um, it was our desire to be the main chapter of, of, of the work. Mm-hmm. But then we realized that we need to bring it a little bit down to to people who might might be a bit intimidated by ethics. So we ended up bringing together the the chapter on uh, risk and governance with ethics and created the responsible AI chapter. And when I say chapter, um, we creating a, a guidance that will be published probably until the end of the year. Fully, what we have said in that chapter is on one hand framing various um, uh, terms, including what risk is to ethics and what AI is to responsible AI and so on and so forth, uh, to ask the biggest questions, why why companies have to do it. And while, um, yes, we, we went on this path of explaining it's about carrot and stick, and it, when it comes to um, the stick, is not just about regulation that will be coming slower, but it's about public policy that creates or um, signals the direction where regulation is going in certain areas, is how do you create this... Um, a sustainable change uh, mindset using carrots and sticks. And um, we describe very much um, um, what what, what I, I've been um, talking in the last five minutes. I think extra what, what we said is, is that it's really important to, to, to acknowledge for the cost of change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and treat it as, as a change. Because if you if you do that, then you have more chances to actually navigate how is that vision, as I said earlier. Um, if you treat it as, as a side effect or a side exercise, there's something that comes naturally and you just give free reign to few pioneers in the organization that will run it, you're not going to go far. And I think the examples we have seen from both IBM and Microsoft, um, World Economic Forum published uh, some in-depth use cases of how those two organizations mm-hmm. are implementing responsible principles. We will see that they they have actually thought it as a as a, a profound and systemic um, change exercise. The way they set up different organizations, the way they work, the processes, the people are are behind it, mm-hmm. and. Um, the the guide the the toolkit uh, combined with those use cases are a very useful resources for whomever is thinking of nurturing and making um, this transformation their competitive advantage. As I said, it's going to be something um, uh, responsible as a competitive advantage will only work for a limited period of time. Yeah. And I'm saying this because I'm hoping that <laughs> this will become the norm. I We're not competing who, who's who's uh, who's uh, AI is going to be more responsible. All AI is going to be responsible and will have other uh, indicators to optimize other than doing the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I also hope that we will live in a future where that is the case. Uh, you already mentioned Microsoft and IBM. One of my questions in regards to responsible AI would, of course, also be regarding the status quo of enterprises. And I think with your background in professional services, you are in this privileged position of get quite good insight into the, the, the current state. So uh, do any examples come to your mind of companies that are currently implementing ethical AI principles? Or do you have some best practices to share with our listeners? I definitely look at those those two companies. Microsoft uh, has has been doing uh, a fantastic job in thinking about how how to um, transform the way the way they 
they operate aligned with responsible principles. And it's that they've been thinking about it probably for a few years now. Mm-hmm. And now they are ready to actually share uh, this transformation because they, they have what to share. It's not just about a set of principles or policies. Now they have feedback on how this has worked and being able to say might be um, um, on a road towards developing best practices this is how we have done it and this were the challenges that we have encountered. And World Economic Forum has developed actually some, as I said, in-depth use cases. So there's um, plenty of material there to, to look uh, deeper into those two use cases. And I'm sure this is a part of a series uh, around responsible technologies and uh, probably they will be um, uh, bringing to life more companies with their best practices and how mm-hmm. how responsible AI technology is being developed. And while like, the biggest caveat is that those companies are tech companies, I think there's a lot of ideas of how do you do with the companies that are non uh, non non tech. They already have a certain structure, a certain uh, corporate governance approach, a way of doing business ethics. And I think my 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 key learning here is like. Try to build on what you have mm-hmm. and adapt it rather than uh, create a different structures or start, start from the scratch and creating a new structure. Rely heavily on um, the, uh, the the structures you, you have and being able to augment and prepare those to respond to challenges of AI. Take, for example, the committees or the ethical committees. Many organizations will have that for their day-to-day business. How can you make sure that those committees are prepared to assess or to discuss um, uh, AI applications and their consequences? And how do you keep your boards of directors and committees with the right knowledge and expertise for them to be able to make the right decisions? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I think also a more sustainable one as opposed to trying to change by starting right from the beginning with decades maybe worth of history as an organization. Thank you so much for everything you shared in regards to responsible AI. Now I would love to get your take on auditing of uh, responsible AI systems, especially since you just uh, published uh, the second in a series of papers on ethics-based auditing of automated decision-making systems together with Luciano Floridi from University of Oxford. Can you elaborate a little bit on what these papers are about and why audits are are important to ensure that AI is done responsibly and maybe also what limitations of audits are? Uh, That's a question uh, that probably will take us uh, a whole new podcast. So I will try to summarize it and say that it's important now for us to, um, to, to go and check for quality um, what we have done, right? A lot of the conversation has been focused on creating um, the right structures, putting in place the right processes and tools to allow for responsible AI to be built. So now it's time for us to start seeing, but how do we measure what we have done mm-hmm. when measuring is not that obvious? And that's where the whole um, audit of AI or assurance of AI is coming to place. How can we go and measure the type of impact we had and being able to rectify 
if that impact is not according with um, whatever standards have been defined, either internally or externally. While the the world of auditing of AI or assurance of AI, it's it's very very early early stage, and there are not as many groups that are looking into it necessary. Also, because the fact that audit requires you to be uh, extremely precise is that's where we, you start. Um, uh, describing AI into what what it is. I mean, we're talking about uh, auditing um, or quality assure data across its supply chain, or we are auditing algorithms. What exactly do we we we're talking when we measure, or we compare, or we assess? So, I think going to more precise is is something that the world of or, or those who are working in the field of uh, auditing of AI are looking into making sure that we understand what is the term audit using the context of AI. Can we actually use the term audit as long as we actually do not have a legal frameworks that yeah. will translate those findings into compulsory uh, activities? Um, how how do we make sure that we create the right foundation for those applications to be able to to be monitored in various form for, forms and modalities, both internally, externally, formal or informal? The work we've been doing with Luciano at Oxford Internet Institute is actually to look beyond the uh, the, the various instruments that could be deployed to to use to. Uh, monitor quality assess applications are the engineering tools to test for bias, for example, or for explainability or to be able to understand the whole range of decisions that are being made on, on across uh, the, the different stages of the application and to say, how do we bring it all together? How do we make sure that we understand that when it comes to uh, implementing ethical principles, uh, the interventions need to be bigger than the technical ones, right? We need to go and start assessing how we, how well we have done in implementing or aligning the whole of operations um, towards uh, a set of um, uh, principles uh, and, and moral North Stars. And that's where we came up with the new concept. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a governance, a governance mechanism called ethics based audit that allows us to, to have a, um, a holistic view of all the different intervention and how well those interventions have, uh, have delivered us responsible AI. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's a bit of a reverse engineering or operationalizing, um, AI ethics. So if you say that, Operationalizing AI ethics is about having principles and frameworks and policies and training and risk management. Ethics-based audit is goes back and say, if you have had a series of those interventions, what's the gap required so that you you have more chances to 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 achieve your responsible AI vision on long term? Yeah. And by having this um, holistic approach and understanding not all the different types of in- intervention that one organization needs to have in place. Um, it's how those interventions connect with each other. You know, what's the correlation between having a board and um, an ethically aligned training and ethically aligned um, uh, product development? What's the correlation between internal audit and the boards, for example? And create all those different um, uh, feedback loops that are so required in us to understand the, the actual impact of AI. Um, and while we are still, you know, uh, early stages with, with our research, well, we are trying to kind of um, 
you know, at core is about bringing it all together, making sure that that organizations start looking at like um, the whole uh, issues in responsible AI in a holistic way. What we have seen, and I think that that's the reason what we we are motivated to do is this work, is that there's a lot of linear and uh, pointed type of of approach mm-hmm. um, um, in this type of work. And this systemic approach, the systemic mindset is needed for us to really to be able to be uh, on call um, when it comes to uh, audit of AI. Um, and that's, uh, the, as I said, the core, what motivates us is how do we bring it all together? How do we create yeah. a, a new mindset in approaching mm-hmm. um, responsible AI that sees all the moving parts coming together and understand the the systemic um, the, uh, correlations rather than just um, uh, separate actions that happen like a, a bit like a piecemeal. Okay. So did I understand you correctly that uh, since we're currently still so early as a society and as organizations to moving towards AI at scale, responsible AI, and not yet have a very clear and precise understanding of which exact steps need to be taken to reach this vision of mm. uh, responsible AI, that it's more about creating the conditions and the system that plays together and quite likely yeah. will put us in the uh, best uh, direction to actually also achieve this, this vision of having responsible AI. Exactly. You're absolutely right. You've summarized it better than I did. Um, it's about conditions. It's about creating um, the right uh, context where AI can be developed. Um, and it's, it's, that's that's the the trickiest part is because before you don't know what 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 would be the the intervention points all the intervention points that that must exist even if if you might say those are not important for me because of various reasons not important for me as an organization the reality is that all those intervention points need to be either formally or informally in place for this condition to actually deliver the outcome so yes it's about um creating the right context that will allow for AI to be, to manifest itself in, in a positive way. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I'm already very much looking forward to uh, reading uh, the second paper and then also the third paper in, in, in detail. Uh, I have the feeling, Maria, we could continue this conversation for probably a few hours, <laughs> but we are coming to an end. So, so we need to, to close. And therefore, my two last questions to you would be uh, just a very short recommendation for, for our listeners. Who, in your opinion, are the most influential, responsible AI leaders that our listeners would follow uh, on social media? I mean, they should definitely follow you on LinkedIn and on Twitter because the resources you share are just incredibly valuable. But who else can you recommend? Oh, how much time do we have? Uh, (laughs) Not much, not much. So maybe give me the first three that come to your mind. Of course, there are so many people. There are a lot of wonderful people doing work out there. And um, I've been really fortunate to meet a lot of them and call them my friends. And while some of them are closer to my heart, others um, have equal equal valid points. So I think it's more of an exploring mm-hmm. um, who speaks better for you. Um, I am a big fan of Kate Crawford, yeah. um, um, and her Atlas of AI is an absolutely must-read book. Um, 
Um, she's um, one of those researchers that have been able to bring it all together, um, various research themes um, that has happened around AI in the last few years and translating in a language for lay people. And she writes beautifully. Um, I like Stuart Russell a lot. <laughs> I mean, he's one of the big pioneers of AI, but because he's been in this for 35 years, believe yeah. it or not, <laughs> the way he... Yeah, uh, and he's he's a he's an engineering at heart, right? Because he he comes with um, with this deep in in depth technical understanding of AI. Um, uh, he's he's able to uh, to look at things a bit different from an engineering perspective. Mm -hmm. So I would highly recommend Stuart Russell and his um, human compatible book. Um, who else? Um, I, I would say not necessarily people, but outlets that I think do fantastic work. Mm -hmm. Ada Lovelace Institute yeah. here in the UK, uh, the Institute of uh, Ethics of AI at the University of Oxford, and uh, probably my favorite group of researchers out there is the uh, CFI, uh, Center for Future of Intelligence, uh, mm -hmm. Leverhulme Center at uh, University of Cambridge. They are looking at... Um, the implications of AI on our intelligence, uh, ourselves as humans, and the dynamics in um, in society. Not only that, they will have um, uh, exciting uh, strands of research like AI narratives, history of AI, gender and AI. Um, I think they they have this benefit of expanding people's perception and mind. And what else do we need to be yeah, thinking? Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to say about about um, know people to follow is that uh, ghost hours people that will challenge the status quo mm -hmm. um and and allow you to to see things differently even you might think that uh, this yeah. is not necessary why should i be concerned about history of ai it's not something that i believe me you want to be to, yeah. to be concerned yourself because in the history of AI, like in history of everything, the like history of humanity, <laughs> there's a lot of cues about where we're going next. Yeah. So, exactly. yes, history of AI um, and follow a young academic in Cambridge that actually um, is doing a lot of thinking around Johnny Penn, um, mm -hmm. who who is looking uh, into the history of AI and how history of AI uh, gives us a flavor or, or a little bit of indication of what's going to happen next uh, based on where we're coming from. Oh, wow. I think you just gave me a hint for a potential next podcast guest if he's, if he's up for that, because that sounds super interesting looking uh, into the history of AI via that perspective. So thank you for all these incredible resources. And my last question to you would actually be, do you have any final remarks for our listeners or some piece of advice for everybody who would like to make a difference and contribute to making AI more responsible? Be curious and curious, sir. I think that that the whole um, this whole field requires people who who are embarking this as as, a, as an adventure. And um, while many will see, oh, but this is my field of work, and I I don't want to do it um, approach it this way. The reality is, is when I look at people like Stuart Russell or Kate Crawford, you can see their eyes sparkling with passion. So mm -hmm. people actually believe that that what they are doing. Um, um, it's not only that what they are doing can have a massive contribution on 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 humanity, but um, it's their lifelong passion. And if the, the the only way to do this is to have a curious and open mind, then allow yourself to be disrupted. That's why I recommended 
um, my 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 friends in Cambridge and Oxford is that no matter how much you know about a subject, consider yourself as as a humble apprentice of everything, mm-hmm. and that gives you the chance to uh, explore new perspective, to uh, acquire new new sets of knowledge, and being able to have contribution that otherwise you wouldn't if you remain stuck in your box. So be curious, be open minded, and apply humility because I think that will get you a lot a long time. Is there anything I've learned from those absolute masters and experts in AI? It's is 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 that on top of everything, the knowledge, the expertise, the passion, they they continue to be humble and continue to embrace everyone who approached them with the same um, uh, 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 joy and passion. So, yeah, be humble. I'm sure I think yes, there are no be better humble. last words than that. Thank you so much, Maria. It was incredibly insightful to to chat with you today and I really enjoyed the episode. I hope our listeners will as well. So thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Wow, time truly flies when you talk to Maria and we didn't even cover everything under the responsible AI topic. So let's collect the main takeaways. Number one, the responsible AI skill set. Defining what AI is and what AI is not in an organization tells the company what kind of capabilities they need to build and who they need to hire. Think of AI ethics as domain knowledge concerned with creating the vision of a good life for humans. Social science skills are imperative to understand AI in context. Takeaway number two, the three challenges of responsible AI. The first challenge is that we need a new philosophy for computer science and teach computer scientists to think about the impact of the products they build. We need to change the question from can we build it to should we build it? Data scientists should exercise the same level of care as doctors do because their work has such a significant impact on human lives. Personal data is not just data. It's the imprint of human lives. And so people handling personal data should be mindful of their work's impact. The second challenge is that responsible AI is profoundly disruptive. People need to be trained and prepared to take on this new mindset to be able to understand artificial intelligence risks. The third challenge concerns the pace of AI adoption. Companies are investing a lot and speeding up their adoption of AI. Many are not taking enough time to really explore the impact of this digital transformation. But still, not moving too fast and not breaking things should be the new mantra. Takeaway number three, how to implement responsible AI. HL software development principles and Doing digital transformation in sprints can help in reflecting and iterating on the AI adoption process. Maria also recommends using impact assessments like the data protection impact assessments of GDPR that companies already know and have successfully used in the past. Data scientists need to be supported with tools like an impact assessment questionnaire to be able to do AI governance effectively move beyond having an ethical AI board and frameworks and make assessments a continuous part of your AI process. Takeaway number four, the ethical AI toolbox. 
explainability, robustness, security, data privacy, and fairness are all part of the ethical AI toolbox. Most companies already test for fairness and for explainability, but a lot of them are not ready for the auditing phase because the governance processes are not stable enough yet. For example, AI procurement will be an important process for companies, since most AI applications are not developed in-house. Therefore, it's imperative to be able to audit these third-party AI solutions and to train people to be able to perform said audits. Takeaway number five, responsible AI and risk management. Building organizational competency for risk management is one of the hardest things to do for companies and requires quite a big investment. Risk needs to be owned by someone, and for more mature organizations like financial institutions, they already have people like, like chief risk officers in place. But for others, this might be a new challenge. The best way to mitigate risk is starting with it early on and to proactively think about issues like fairness and discrimination from the start. If you do AI ethics right, you'll have less risks to manage. Number six, AI ethics by design. Having AI that is ethically by design is or will be the only way of doing AI. Similar to how GDPR changed how we think about privacy, the upcoming AI regulations will change how we design AI systems. Ethics will no longer be an afterthought, but the place from where projects start. Apart from regulations and even bigger motivation for companies to take ethics by design seriously are the infamous examples of AI algorithms going wrong, like all the social media scandals we've seen in the past few years. In order to start on this journey of change towards a more ethical AI transformation, companies should not only be subjected to this carrot and stick approach, but should have a vision of what kind of ethical company they want to become in the AI age, to look at the impact they want to have on society and also the changes they need for getting there. The purpose is also essential for having and attracting today's talent. Try to build on what you have and use existing structures to respond to AI challenges. Many organizations, for example, have already some ethical committees or data ethics committees in place. Try to augment those before building entirely new structures solely for the purpose of ensuring responsible AI. That's what are our main takeaways. So if you have any questions or comments about ethical or responsible AI, please send us a message to podcast at mostly.ai. We will be back in two weeks time with another exciting episode of the Data Democratization Podcast, where we'll be exploring data challenges in software testing. So see you then. Mm -hmm.